on a show of hands, have you ever been eating something, and while you were eating that something, you realized how bad it was for you? Come on, just show of hands. Like, you know, you know, you know, we're near in Maverick, <laughs> and pretty much anything you eat in there, um, you quickly realize, like, man, I shouldn't be eating this. And then at the same moment, you think to yourself, I shouldn't be eating this. You keep eating it, right? <clears throat> um, I've done that many times before. My brother and I, uh, Justin, we have this thing, this little game that we play called Guilty Pleasures. And it's specifically about food and, uh, and the things that we shouldn't be eating. So my guilty pleasure, um, if I can be so vulnerable with you, um, I'll give you my sin this morning. Um, my guilty pleasure are those hostess pies. You know, you know the pies that I'm talking about? <laughs> um, they could last through like a nuclear war. Um, <laughs> and the lemon curd on the inside still be good. Um, that is my guilty pleasure. Like if you ever see a guy running out of Maverick with like a hat and a hood um, that didn't rob the place, that's probably me with a pie. Like that's the, <laughs> and uh, so every now and then I just get like the hankering to have one of those pies. Uh, Justin's guilty pleasure is the liquid cheese that you get, nacho cheese. Um, yeah. <laughs> How many of you, that's your same guilty pleasure, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's so bad for you. Oh man. But then there's something about it, and I'm not going to lie, so we were driving um, for a conference in Vegas a couple weeks ago, and uh, we stopped in like just outside of Cedar City. It's the gas station there that, 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 that's it, um, and I don't, I don't know where they produce this food, um, but, uh, but there's this weird thing in me. I don't know what it is, like if it's like I need to see the train wreck, but every single time I go into this particular uh, gas station, I always have to walk over to where they have the, the hot dogs on rotation, and then right next to it, the taquitos on rotation. You, you know, <laughs> how many of you know what I'm talking about? Don't judge me. You know you look at like you want them to, all right? And so every now, and so literally, I was there the other day, and no one was looking. I was looking around, I was like, all right, no, no one's looking, and I just stuck my head closer. I was like, oh, that's good, because that's a guilty, I will eat those taquitos, and then my life will be over in about 15 minutes, right? These are, my, these are my guilty pleasures. And I think that all of us have done this at one point or another. And, and Justin and I have this, this game that we play. And as we played this game, and as I was thinking about this game, I couldn't help but think about our relationships. And I think for a lot of us, we have the same type of thing going on with relationships. Relationships that... While we're in them or engaging in them, we go, man, these are, these are probably not the best relationships for me. But then at the same moment we're thinking that, we continue to assimilate that relationship in our life. We continue to have uh, uh, this interaction with that relationship. And sometimes we don't even realize that we're doing We don't realize that, that the relationship that we're in is actually a destructive relationship. Okay? Now, I want to be very, very careful with this message because this is what can happen so many times when we talk about things like this in church. I can, I can talk through this message and then everybody goes to the, to the place of like, okay, I need to get rid of all my destructive relationships. Okay? Stop for a second. We're not talking about just jumping ship on destructive relationships because sometimes destructive relationships can be repaired. Right? God can bring reconciliation and destructive relationships, but also this. Sometimes it's just understanding some of the observations that we're going to make in a few minutes about destructive relationships that help us and give us the ability and the power to overcome them and not let them be destructive in our life. All right? And so that's what we're going to deal with this morning is these destructive relationships. And like these foods I'm talking about, our relationships have the ability in our life to destroy a lot of elements 
of our world. So this morning as we continue on in our social space series, I want to speak to you from the subject, if you're taking notes this morning, write this at the top. I want to speak to you from the subject, the Delilah Dilemma. The Delilah Dilemma. As we take a look at the issue of destructive relationships and the effects that they have in our lives. Will you pray with me just one more time? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, that it's active, that it's powerful, that it has the ability to transform us from the, from the inside out. I pray this morning that you, would, uh, that you would speak to us, that you would take these words and that you would help every single one of us apply them to our lives. And I pray this morning that uh, as, we, as we sit in this building together as a community, in all of our services across today, I pray that you would guide us in these moments. And as you reveal things to us, and as many of us sit in here this morning and see the effects of destructive relationships in our lives, God, I pray that you would continually remind us this morning that you are faithful in the midst of it, that you would give us the power to walk through appropriate measures to live out the life that you've called us to live, to have the type of relationships that bring the best out in us and for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. Amen. To do this, we're going to take a look um, at a portion of Scripture. I'm going to work this message a little bit differently than I, than I normally do on, it, on any given weekend. Um, I'm going to ask you to go in, in your Bibles to Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 22. And what we're going to do is we're going to read through this, this long piece, uh, this long passage, and we're going to kind of just hit pause at certain moments and talk through some observations um, that, I, that I see right here in, in Scripture and then kind of work through how they they apply to, to our life. And so um, I've got five observations that I want to make about destructive relationships in, in our lives. And so I pray, like I said, that, that you would just lean in with me and that uh, we can glean from this everything that, uh, uh, that we need to glean. Uh, Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 6, before we throw the first observation up, says this. And the scripture should be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles this morning. It says this. After this, this is Samson. Okay, we're going to be talking about Samson and this woman named Delilah. If you don't know much about Samson, Samson was a knucklehead, all right? Samson was notorious for his bad relationships. He was a bit of a womanizer. Um, he was arrogant. He was, he was cocky. He was, um, he was just kind of that dude. And, but at the same time, he had a great call upon his, his life. We'll talk about this in a few moments, but Samson had a supernatural strength that was in conjunction with the call of God on his life. And, and, uh, and Samson knew that about himself. And so because of that, personally, as I read the scripture, I think it informed a lot of his his way of doing life, his way of interacting with people. And so Samson finds himself after a bout of messy relationships and, and different moments that were really at the end of the day not uh, necessarily highlighting the power and the character of God in his life. We find Samson right here in Judges 16 starting to enter into a new relationship. And says this, after he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah, this after he had just gotten into a relationship with a prostitute, all right, just so you know. So not the best, like not a relationship you take home to mom, okay? And this says, after this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah, every shout Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came uh, up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him that we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you um, 1,100 pieces of, of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could 
subdue you. It's in this first portion of Samson's relationship with Delilah that we see the beginnings of a destructive relationship taking shape, with Samson diminishing his overall worth and value. This is the first observation I want to make. Destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. You hear that this morning? (laughs) Destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. The problem wasn't that Samson desired relationship. The problem was who he entered into that relationship with. This moment in Samson's life would best be summarized in the words of Belle Biv DeBeau when they said, that girl is poison. Come on, somebody. That's straight Bible truth right there, all right? You see, Samson had a history of choosing bad relationships, relationships that at the end of the day did not represent or uphold the standards, identity, and heritage of his people. And can I say this? Let's pause one more time before we really dive into this. A destructive relationship doesn't have to just be a relationship with a human. It's not just human-human relationships. I would venture to say that some of us have a destructive relationship with Facebook, (laughs) right? We have destructive relationships with our hobbies. We have destructive relationships with our jobs. So it's not just human to human relationship we're talking about here. We're talking about anything in our lives that we are in relationship with that caused these observations to start taking place in our life. And destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. Our worth. See, Samson It's not that it was bad that he was entering into relationship. It was who he was entering into relationship with. Now, because of the location that Samson meets Delilah, it's safe to conclude that she was a Philistine. Samson, on the other hand, was an Israelite. He and his people constantly were under siege and destruction at the hands of the Philistines. And what we see from Samson in this moment is a total lack of consideration and care for he, who he and his people were. There was a value issue that dated back further than his relationship with Delilah. And we see this pattern in Samson's life. His lack of personal value determined his lack of relational value. And that's what destructive relationships do, is they they diminish, they cause us to diminish our worth. In other words, because Samson cared little of his worth, he did not regard highly the relationships that he would allow into his life. Let me put it this way, I've got a little girl, two little girls now, right? And I'm a, I'm a dad to my, like, my little, I'm, like, I cannot wait for the day that she even starts thinking about allowing boys to come around the house. Because I got some friends in the house, right, that are always going to be standing at the front door with me. And, uh, <laughs> at the, you know, like, have you ever seen Bad Boys? Like, that scene will be my house, all right? And some of you, like, you've seen Bad Boys? Don't judge me. Be quiet, all right? Don't think. Don't front. <laughs> But besides just defending her in general, the greatest thing that I can do for my daughter is make sure she knows what she's worth. Why? Because when she understands her worth, then she can actually apply what type of relationship comes into her life by helping see the value system that's there. If she understands that I'm worth this much, then a relationship has to equal that. 
right? When she gets to that point in her life, like I want to make sure that she understands her worth so much. She understands how much I love her, how much her mom loves her, how much God loves her, who she is in Christ, who she is as a woman, who she is as all these things. So when Junior Joe over here comes to try to have a conversation, she's able to say, yo, I know who I am. I know who I am. It's a worth issue, and destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. And the same is true for our lives. When we have a low or diminished view of our worth, then we allow relationships into our lives that to support that reality. Listen to this. Our relationships are indicators of the perceived truths that we hold about ourselves. Destructive relationships are twofold in our lives. They highlight our perceived worth, and they support a continued diminishing of that worth. So if we have a low worth, if we have a low understanding of our value and our worth, then the relationships that we allow into our life actually support that perceived reality. But if we have a high worth, if we have a high value in our lives, then we actually allow relationships into our life that hold up that perceived reality. If I know who I am in Christ, if I understand my worth and my value, then who I am in my life, the relationships that I allow into my life, they support that perceived value. And we've got to be very aware of the relationships that we're allowing into our life. This is what Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 31. He says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your your strength. And then he adds, he says, then the second is this, you shall love your neighbor, what? As yourself. There is no other commandment greater than this, than these. Jesus is saying that love for others is a product, first and foremost, of love for self. Worth, not selfish love or arrogant love or narcissistic love. We're not talking about that. Love that is the proof of understood worth. Worth that is only established in abiding love found in Christ. Come on, somebody. We've got to understand our worth. We've got to understand who we are. So the first thing that we need to understand is that destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. Or continue to diminish what we've now applied as our worth. I have a high worth value. I know who I am in Christ. Now, I'm not always good at walking in that, for sure. Not perfect in walking in that, but after, after a few years now following Jesus, I realized, man, I'm not where I used to be. I'm not who I used to be. I'm now somebody who God's made me, and so I go, man, he must love me a lot. And that's okay for us to think, that God actually loves me a lot, so here's the deal. If I understand how much God loves me, then it should dictate who I allow into my life to support that worth. Come on, am I talking to anybody this morning? So we've got to understand some things, and the first one is this, the destructive relationships cause us to diminish our worth. Let's continue on in the story, Judges 16, 7 through 9. Samson said to her, if they bind me, so here's Delilah asking, how, how's, your, how's your strength gone? Samson says to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven bo- fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound, them, bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, 
And she said to, them, the Phil, uh, said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. What are we, what are we looking at here? I know there's a lot there. Samson said, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings. There's this thing that Samson had taken long before and was a part of his life. It's called the Nazarite vow. In order to better understand this, we need to understand what this vow was. In order to better understand this situation and the observation we're about to make here, we got to understand what the Nazarite vow was. The Nazarite vow was an extraordinary vow on the life of a person. The vow was a declaration of one's being set apart for the purposes of God. The vow carried with it three distinctive behaviors. The first one was this, abstaining from wine and grape products. That was the first part of the vow. This was a correlation with protocol placed upon priests at the time so that one was sober, clear-headed, and vigilant to perform all the tasks that he had to do with his priestly ministry. The second part of it was this, abstaining from touching dead bodies, which everyone can get down with in here, right? You're like, I could take that vow. No problem, no dead bodies, all right? (laughs) I see dead people. All right, that's not what we're talking about. (laughs) Abstaining from touching of dead bodies. This injunction was a cleanliness issue. That one was to uphold signifying the purity of God and calling upon their life. This is where the bowstrings issue comes into play. Bowstrings were actually animal tendons. In this case, Samson is referring to fresh and undried tendons, which literally went against his Nazarite vow and would impede his supernatural strength eventually. The Nazarite vow upon his life was this, that you should not do all these things. And the third part of it was to not cut his hair. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. But these fresh bowstrings that he says to delight, if you tie me with these tendons, these fresh animal tendons, it was the same thing as him touching a dead body. Whether it was animal or human, it didn't matter. And this is the observation I want to make today. Destructive relationships cause us to minimize our calling. This is what Samson found himself in the midst of. Not only was he diminishing his worth, but now he's diminishing or minimizing his calling. How do we see that? Because Samson is now playing with his calling. And he says, "If if you bind me with these things that I'm not supposed to be touching, that is how you will subdue me. He's starting to go into this, this process, and he's starting to avoid the calling of God on his life. You see, the call of God is the most specific substance of God in our lives. The call of God on our lives produces the vehicle for the proclamation of God in our lives. And for a lot of us, we don't even understand this. A lot of us think when when we say the call of God, we go to this place where we're like, well, that's what I'm supposed to do because we're a people of doing, aren't we? Just give me an action plan. So if I say my calling is to be an accountant, My calling is to be a salesman. My calling is to be a pastor. My calling is to be this, so on and so forth. But your calling doesn't necessarily have to do with your doing. Your calling is about your being. Your calling is about whose you are. That's why it's attached to the worth issue. Because that means your calling only goes as far as your doing. And how many of you know that your doing can change at any given moment? And this is why people lose their minds when they lose their job. It's not just because they lost finances and so on and so forth. It's because they now feel they no longer have a calling. 
in their life. When they're removed from a position, when a pastor's no longer pastoring or preaching, they feel like their calling is gone. And I, I, I want to tell you today, like I understand that I get that reality and I pray and I work through men. The day that I'm potentially taken out of this pulpit and from pastoring, I pray that I still know whose I am when I'm not doing something for him. Right? And so it was right here that, that Samson started to, to minimize is calling. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one would boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should, we should walk in them. Notice that Paul writes beforehand. Beforehand. In other words, God has been positioning us before we ever realized it. Why? Because there's a calling on your life. And some of us need to understand that today. That you have a calling upon your life. And it's contrary. It doesn't necessarily work with your, with your job. Your job is just a part of life sometimes. Your calling isn't just what you do and function in all the time. Your calling is to be a son and a daughter of Christ. Your calling is to make disciples. Your calling is to point people to Jesus. Your calling is to make the world better. And all of us are called to exemplify and personify and glorify and shout to the rooftops the Christ that is in us. God has called us to be ambassadors of grace in the world around us. We are all called. We're all called. Somebody be like, he's yelling on this rainy morning. Come on. <laughs> We're called. And it's right here that Samson starts to minimize his calling, his Nazarite vow. The minute he says to Delilah, because of this destructive relationship, he starts to play around with it and he says, yeah, if you bind me with fresh animal tendons, Now he's taking steps towards this minimizing of his calling. He's starting to play with fire. You ever been there before? You ever start to diminish or minimize the calling? And that's what he finds himself doing. Let's continue on. Judges 16, 10 through 12 says this. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Oh, I can't believe you. Lied to me. Samson shouldn't lie. Please tell me how you might be bound. I don't know if her voice was like that. She's like, you tell me now. Or you're sleeping on the couch. And he said to her, if you bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Notice he uses this term and be like any other man. Be like any other man. When was the last time you woke up and said, I want to be like another woman? I'll be like another man. It's the most demeaning thing you can say because God didn't create you to be like somebody else. He created you to be you. And this is, this is you see the journey now? This destructive relationship, the Delilah dilemma that he's found himself in. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, and, and put yourself in the story because this is a weird story if you think about it. Like literally this has Jerry Springer written all over it. Right, like who plays this game? This is a weird Friday night thing to be going on, right? Like, hey, let's just have this conversation. How do I overcome? How do I subdue you? How do I throw you off your game? And he gladly participates in it. So the Philistines are upon you, Samson, and, then, and the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but the, they, he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Here's the, here's the third observation I want to make this morning about destructive relationships. Destructive relationships cause us to trivialize our gifts. 
Destructive relationships cause us to trivialize our gifts. One author put it this way as he wrote about Samson. Samson's problem with this vow is not so much that he willfully violates it. He simply does not take it seriously. Like his strength and the people around him, it's a toy to be played with, not a calling to be fulfilled. Think about that. Destructive relationships in our lives, not only do they diminish our worth, not only do they start to minimalize our calling, but then they start to help us trivialize our gifts. Trivialize those things that are in, inside of us. Husbands and wives, can I talk to you this morning? We gotta be so careful with this thing. This is such an important thing for us to understand because we, more than anyone else, have the ability to be the very destructive relationship on our spouse's wife. Life, excuse me. There's a lot of ifs there. It's amazing how quickly we can trivialize our gifts in the wake of our destructive relationships or be the one who helps somebody else trivialize theirs. Because this is what happened. Destructive relationships cause us to shrink to the size of somebody else's insecurity. Am I talking to anybody this morning? Come on. <laughs> We could be the very people that cause someone else to trivialize their gift as they shrink down to the size of our insecurity. And this is such a prevalent issue, especially in dating and marriage relationships. One person or the other in the relationship can be fearful or jealous or insecure at the size and the scope of another person's gifts. Because of this, they cause by whatever means possible the trivialization of that gift, causing the other person to shrink back and potentially never see everything that that gift could bring about in their lives. Very personally between Erica and I, I wanna be Erica's biggest cheerleader. I never want her to feel like her gifts or have her be in the position in our marriage where she starts to trivialize the gifts in her life. Like I wanna be behind her, like go Erica, go Erica. Like I want all cheerleader action. In, uh, that's my best cheerleader, sorry guys, all right? <laughs> I want to be able to say to her, go, go, baby, write that book, write that blog, do that thing, reach those people, Man, go, speak, be everything that God has called you to be. I'll push her out the door because I don't want to be the husband that stands before God one day and says, hey, remember that time you started to help Erica trivialize the gift that I put inside of her and she never got to use it because you were standing in the way? That's, a, that's, a, that's hard. And I know this message is difficult for some of us because right now I can, I can feel it and I, and I can sense it and I know it for some of us that we're now starting a process and you're just wanting to look forward right now so you don't look at the person next to you. <laughs> That's why I said at the beginning, don't just jump ship on these things. We can self-correct because sometimes we don't even know that we're the destructive relationship. I didn't know I was doing that. For all of our dating people in here, when dating, this, isn't such an, this is such an important thing to be looking for. Does he or she cause the trivializing of my gifts? Are they scared by your gifts or are you scared by theirs? When we do this, we are tinkering with the God-imprinted design upon others' lives. And this is what destructive relationships do. The story continues on in Judges 16, 13 through 14. And it says this, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me, told me lies. Now she's just getting fierce. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web 
and fasten it tight with the pen, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web, and she made them tight with the pen and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pen and the loom and the web and went on. Now when you read that, for many of us, we'll read that and we'll look at it and we're like, what does that even mean? This may, wanna, may, may be one of the most telling aspects of destructive relationships. It's the progress that has taken place with the previous three observations that one now sees the effects of them in Samson's life as he begins to do something that destructive relationships cause us to do. Here's the fourth observation. Destructive relationships cause us to compromise. They cause us to compromise. And here's what I want us to see this morning. He goes from the diminishing of his worth to the minimizing of his calling to the trivializing of his gift and now all of a sudden, in all that other sequencing with Delilah, she talks about tying his hands together. And he knows he can break free from that. He knows that he can deal with this moment. But now he gives compromise. Now he takes it a step further and he places in her hand the very hair that when cut off, he loses everything. Think about that. He doesn't go all the way yet, but now he compromises. We move from his hands being bound to his hair, the crown of his head, the crown of his Nazarite vow, the thing that when it is taken away from him, he loses his strength, and he says to Delilah, if you tie my hair up this way, then I can be overcome. He is now compromising. It's heard in this question, especially for young teenagers and, and young adults and those dating here, we'll have them all across our services, this question, how far is too far? Right? How, how much can I play in the freeway before I get hit by a car? How much can I step onto that boundary line? How long can I be viewing those things on the internet before it becomes an addiction? How long can I be in this, this relationship that I'm not supposed to be in before it takes over? How close can I get to the line until all of a sudden I've slipped and I've compromised on my marriage? If I, can, if I could be your pastor this morning, this is the most dangerous place that we can find ourselves in is when we start to compromise. Billy Graham used to be famous for this. He would never let himself into an elevator with another woman. He always had to have somebody with him. Why? Because he never wanted to create a moment where he would have the capability of compromising. No compromise. Joseph, when he's in the, the throes of this weird moment with Potiphar's wife, when she's coming on him, I love Joseph's his reaction to it. He's just like, no, and he runs. <laughs> and play that story out. Like, this is what the Bible says. Potiphar's wife is coming on to him, and he's like just a young pool boy, and he's, he's tanned and glistening in the sun, and Potiphar's wife is like, hey, <laughs> right? And it was in that moment that Joseph had to make a decision, and his decision was, I'm out, running. Why? Because he didn't want to compromise. But Samson starts to compromise right here because he starts to give proximity to the very thing that would eventually take away his purity. We all do this. Maybe with different things, but we all do it. 
And it seems that destructive relationships especially cause us to walk this line. Compromise, <laughs> some of us need to write this down this morning, compromise is the leading, leading cause of death for those trying to walk out the purpose and call of God on their lives. Compromise. This is what the devil tries to do with Jesus at the beginning of his ministry. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. And Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it's written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to the very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it's written. And he didn't say it like that, like be gone Satan. <laughs> all right, there's an exclamation point right there. Be gone! Some of us need to declare the temptation of the enemy out of our lives. Man, that song that we were singing this morning, there's no sickness here, there's no chaos here, there's no darkness here. Man, that's not a song that you just kind of like, there's no sickness here. There's no darkness here. Guys, there's no chaos here. That's a declaration song. Man, there's no chaos in my life. Enemy, you got it. I'm not going to compromise who God's called me to be or the gifts that he's put in me. I can't, I can't compromise on that thing. Get out of my life. you got to back up, enemy. Jesus, the Son of God, had to say, get out of here. Go! Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Destructive relationships cause us to compromise in ways that we never thought possible. I've been in moments in my life where I've compromised. And I've been in moments where character shone through. Business guys, you have the opportunity to compromise every single time you travel. Every single time you work the numbers, move the budget around, you have the ability to compromise. Teachers, we have the ability to compromise when we don't give our students everything that God has put inside of us. And we simply do it because of the climate that we live in. Church, we have the ability to compromise when we don't live up and live out the gospel call in our lives to point people to Jesus. We compromise. We compromise when we smile in front of everybody in person and then we put them on blast on Facebook. You've heard me mention Facebook twice. Oh, it's a hot topic for me right now. It is. I'm gonna talk a little bit about it next week, but some of the stuff that I'm seeing right now get posted on people's Facebooks, I just want to jump through the screen. It's crazy to me. And it reminds me of those scriptures where you say you bless God with your mouth and then you curse everyone else. 
And just because you're not saying it to their face doesn't mean they're seeing it. Compromise. So how's the story in? What, what happens to Samson? Well, Judges chapter 16, verses 15 through 17 shows us, and he says to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? This is Delilah. Now, look at, the, look at this. Look what she's doing here. How can you say that I love you when your heart is not with me? Samson, I need your heart. I need all of you. You've been busy with the bros, just hanging out, golfing all the time. You're not with me. You've mocked me these three times, and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And watch this, verse 16. I love this, this section of Scripture because you've got to just, like, shapes and colors, people think with me here. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. <laughs> I love that. I love that commentary is being brought to how Samson felt about her pressing him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like every other man. And here's the fifth and final observation I want to make out of the story of Delilah. The Delilah dilemma is this destructive relationships cause us to give away that which was bought with a price. Destructive relationships cause us to give away that which was bought with a price. You know, the truth is we've all been bought with a price. And destructive relationships cause us many times to give that thing away. And this goes back to the worth issue. When you know how much you cost, you are less likely to give it away for something or for nothing. When you know how much you cost, you are less likely to give it away. I got some things in my life that if you ask me for, I'd be like, no, mm-mm, uh-uh. Why? Because I know how much that costs. We're working with our kids right now. Maybe parents, you'd, you'd understand this. Our kids have no problem taking toys from other people. But they have all the problem in giving toys to other people. And so they come home from school and they have this toy. And I'm like, where did you get this toy? Where did you get this thing? And they're like, so-and-so gave me this thing. And so we're working with our kids right now. I said, Justice, listen, you can't ask or take or get a toy from somebody else. It's not, it's not your toy. Well, they said I could have it. And I'm technically saying to him, listen, they can't say you can have it. There's only one person who can say that you can have it, and it's their parents. Why? He's like, I don't know, Dad. And like, because they bought it. Little Joey didn't buy it. Little Joey didn't go to work for 12 hours a day to buy that to give to you. Joey doesn't know the worth of it. 
but mom and dad do. So I said, if, if, if somebody wants to give you something, you've got to have their parents come to us and tell us that they, are, that they are allowed to give that toy away. Why? Because there's a worth issue. There's an understanding of how much it costs. And for many of us, we don't understand, sitting in these seats this morning, how much we cost. We don't understand what it costs God the Father when he gave his one and only son, Jesus. We can't compute that. And we cost him everything, and that's how much we're worth to him. And that is why John 3.16, it's become so trivialized and we see it in like WrestleMania and at monster truck shows and NASCAR. And it's like, are you kidding me? That's the only place we get this scripture. But listen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that he might save it through him. It's a worth thing. You've been bought with a price. And destructive relationships cause us to give away that which was bought with a price. When we give away our calling, when we subdue our giftedness, when we don't step into everything that God has for us, I'll never forget, and I end on this. I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet with me this morning. I had a lot of people tell me in my life that I wasn't going to amount to much. Like you're a knucklehead, you're a goofball, you constantly joke around, you're constantly getting in trouble. Not even was. And I'll never forget when, after like four weeks of being in Bible college, called everybody, letting them know that I was going to become a pastor now. I was switching from doing the thing that I was doing, which had to do with like music and media and everything like that. I switched from that and I'm going to be a pastor. And it was amazing how many people in my life were like, really? Didn't see that coming. That's weird. Jason, you? I had people in college telling me that that wasn't going to be possible. And I remember calling Erica. I told her that. She goes, oh yeah, I saw that coming a long time ago. <laughs> Why? Well, because she's not a destructive relationship in my life. And I have this story and the experience to like feel that and get that and understand what that means. And I know for some of us that's a hard reality because you're like, man, I, I don't have those relationships. I've never had that type of relationship. And I want to pray a prayer this morning. If we, if we could just do at least that, that gives us the strength and the ability to recognize where these things are at play in our life and figure out what to do with them. I don't know, for some of you right now, you're like, well, please tell us what to do with them. <laughs> There's a lot of different things, and hopefully we'll be able to get at, get at it in, in, in this series. But suffice it to stay, we need to see where those destructive relationships are, and we need to figure out how to stand in the midst of them. To not minimize our calling or trivialize our gifts or do any of those things. All these observations. We've got to be the man and the woman that God's called us to be. Come on. Did you get something out of that this morning? Huh? Come on, man. I invite everybody just to close your eyes. Lift your hands to heaven if you're comfortable in this place.